Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, Shantae, you stay. Welcome to episode 21 of Slaughter. Hiya! I'm Lucy. I'm Emma. We're going to get into the murders in just a moment. Just hold off your (laughs) bloodlust momentarily. Calm down. People have been wearing our t-shirts. That's been cute. Yeah, they look fucking hot. I've been really excited every time someone posts a picture. I'm like, oh my God, it's my face. Yeah, and I've been like, oh my God, like now I know what our listeners properly look like. I feel like we're getting a bit of traction now for Slaughter. I feel like we're a grower, not a shower though. We started small. I think we're a little bit overlooked and we're going to be big when we're at full capacity. I think at the moment we're a soft semi. With the baby rat of the podcast, I think community. we can like we can thumb it in at the moment, but we're not like full capacity. But I think when we're fully when we're fully up, we're going to be fucking everyone consensually, and ramming it in your throat. So long as you've said yes beforehand, we will ram it up you. Come You're on. all going to get fucked. I mean, we sound like we're going to try and fight the po- <laughs> the podcast listeners now, but. I'm not going to say that because I've seen the Facebook page. In fact, it's the ones that I haven't seen that I'm most worried about. When they don't have a profile picture, that does scare me. That automatically makes me think you're hiding from the authorities. And you've made a fake profile because you've got an evil plan. So I'm going to kick it off today with John Straffin, who was the son of John Straffin. Ding, ding, ding. He's going to be a murderer. He was The father was a soldier in the British Army. John Straffin Jr. was born in 1930 at Borden Camp in Hampshire. So very much an army family, army roots. Yeah. Age two, they moved abroad. They went to live in India and then they returned when he was eight and they started living in Bath in Somerset. Somewhere I've, down there. I've never been to Bath. Bath's lovely, but Bath's a weird one in that it's got its own stuff, like Roman baths, gorgeous, Jane Austen Museum, interesting, but there's so many tourist shops that are just London memorabilia. Really? Yeah, it's like... You're not in London now? No, it's like 100 miles away. Buy them in London! Yeah, it's 100 miles away, but some Chinese tourists come over and they're like, for you, we're London. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. Red bus, there's not been one here ever, but fine. <laughs> Buy anything with a red bus on, we've got it. It is bizarrely how much everything is London memorabilia. It's like, we are so far away. But if you went to Bath and not London, would you want some London memorabilia? You're just going to lie. Yeah, I've been to London. Straffin began to show antisocial behaviour around the time that he returned to the UK. 
Um, Maybe that's because he was angry that he thought he was going to London and realised, oh wait, the only supermarket we've got is Waitrose. (laughs) Bullshit. He was stealing. He stole a rabbit and a comic. So I don't know if his future career was like weird magician. And he started truanting school as well. He went to court age nine for stealing a purse. So he had quite a lot of sort of drama around this age. He was given two years probation and the probation officer was the first person to say he's a bit weird in fact he went further than that he said he's a mental defective who doesn't know right from wrong a term that you probably wouldn't use now would you mental defective his iq was also found to be 58 and he had a mental age of six i mean he's only nine he's not he's not that far behind yet there's hope although i don't really understand iq i heard 58 and i was like oh over halfway (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what we measure it by i think 100's the average no matter what age you're at he's pretty low but isn't iq tests all like can you spot this pattern look at this color i know like learn your times tables then i'll be impressed what i always find hilarious is the people who are like i've done an iq test on facebook and i'm 150 i'm a genius the fact that you did an iq test on facebook already takes you down a few (laughs) that's determined that this is not true so he was sent to special school which i'm not sure what special schools were like at this age i think potentially possibly just babysitting but by age 16 he was reassessed he had an iq of 64 so it's gone up good but his mental age was then nine so he'd only made three years mental progress in the space of more than that <laughs> i should be doing an iq test yeah seven whatever your results <laughs> seven 16 take show me seven. the evidence <laughs> facebook Around this time also, there was more criminal behaviour. He was suspected of having strangled some geese. Right, I'm not being funny, but if you can strangle a goose, you're a hero in my eyes. Have you ever tried to feed a goose bread? (laughs) They will bite the food and then rip your limbs off yeah you don't mess with a goose they will fuck you right no up. he like he should there should be a statue built his goose wrangler extraordinaire well, geese Ge- multiple geese <laughs> he strangled to the death or just like strangled them to a the, bit and then no, ran away screaming to the death he's amazing the whole hog um, he's a winner <laughs> but there wasn't any evidence so he's he's strangling geese and oh. still i'm not getting caught double whammy in 1946 straffin returned home to bath from the special school and he began to work and he had a number of short-term jobs before he got a permanent position as a machinist in a clothing Good factory <laughs> but that's back when if you were quote-unquote a mental defective there were jobs for you there yeah. are no jobs for stupid people anymore I was going to say that's good that he yeah. yeah so alongside working Straffan would break into homes and he'd take little items so not pretend not really like making money off it but he would just take little things and hide them rather than taking them home he didn't want to get caught July 1947 he amps it up a bit it's gone from geese to something a lot more serious oh, rhinos a 13 year old girl told a policeman Ooh. that um, John had assaulted her and putting his, he's put his hand over her mouth and said that he would kill her. But they didn't link this to John Straff until later. She just said a man named John had done this. So that's later evidence. We were on first name terms and that's all I know. <laughs> I'm John and I'm going to strangle you. Strathlin wasn't convicted of this, but he went back to the bed. He was found guilty of strangling chickens that belonged to the father of another girl who he'd quarrelled with. He was found guilty of the chicken killing and the burglaries that he had been committing and he was sent to Hawtham Idiot Colony, which is basically a controlled village that existed in Bristol. So, real place, they had about 600 
idiots, so to speak there. So it is people who were of reduced intelligence. I couldn't find out a lot about it. There is, though, a Derelict Places website where they took a lot of photos. Have you ever seen Derelict Places website? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, the first time you mentioned Idiot Colony, I lost my mind. I was like, I can't believe that this is, one, actually a, a thing, it was real, and that we've never heard of it. So I, after you'd mentioned it, I did also try and look it up and there's not much there's not enough Nothing. like this is a like a sign there's not enough out there for it to be okay most of it's gone have you ever seen weirdest village in britain yes a long time ago i think that's probably the modern equivalent i mean i think that was a good few years ago as well but that was basically a village where they put a lot of people with learning difficulties and i thought that was quite a nice documentary uplifting yeah I mean the goal of the colony was for people to be returned to the community it doesn't work JK Rowling proved this when she put all the evil students into Slytherin house they're not gonna get better like it's kind of your own fault that one of them rose up to become the dark lord when everyone is encouraging them there's no good influence when you stick all the bad kids together well then we should make it clear that we are not saying that people who are idiots are evil no, they're not evil, but I'm just saying, clumping a lot of people together with the same ideology is not going to produce results different to that. No. Also, a lot of villagers were literally missing their idiot at this point. Like, there would have been an uproar. Like, who's going to fill this role? <laughs> Within the colony, Stratham was well-behaved, he was non-violent, and in 1949 he was transferred to a hostel in Winchester. But while he was there, he stole a bag of walnuts and was sent back to Hawtham. I mean, I don't know who steals walnuts. What are you in desperate need of? I'm making a Caesar salad and it hasn't got the right amount of crunch in it, but I lost my purse and I desperately needed to have them. But the was... shittiest of all the nuts. I hate them. I and he was 19 at this time. What 19-year-old wants walnuts? But don't you think they're the worst kind of people that offer you a brownie, a chocolate oh. brownie, and then you see it's got walnuts in and like, die. I hope you choke on one of your own walnuts because you just ruined a very special day for me. I've never made a brownie with nuts then. And I make a good That's brownie. why we're friends. <laughs> I've got a really good brownie recipe. I'm going to put it on the Facebook group because it's so good. <laughs> Honestly, everyone who eats it is like, this is amazing. So in 1951, Straffan was examined by doctors who discovered that he had brain damage caused by encephalitis as a child. The infection of the brain had basically eroded away his sense of moral obligation. He had so, just like a natural lobotomy. Like his yeah. brain ate itself. Basically, yeah. So, I mean, it's a really dangerous situation that you have someone who is physically strong and independently living, and yet they have no sense of the right or, or wrong, and they're just walking the streets. So makes them get more unpredictable when you've had a brain injury like yeah. it's like that unpredictable behavior because you can suddenly change from feeling one way to another like really quickly and it's hard to rationalize and yeah. things like that like you often see people that are recovering from a, a brain injury like really struggle yeah with that sort of thing with those mood swings and just massive yeah, uptakes so. absolutely and but he's had a his brain is like melting it's in some ways it's sad in some ways it's scary because i feel like in some ways is he really to blame but then also can he really not be held accountable i mean i guess i guess the final verdict on him does does hold him not accountable in some ways it's tricky because you sometimes think like well okay you don't know right from wrong but if i if everyone's telling you if the police are all saying mm, hurting say. people's wrong yeah. then you should remember it like yeah. even if you don't believe it just remember it write yeah. it on your hand 
tattoo it on yourself memento style the following information that i've got is from a book called the trials and strangulations of john thomas straffin by gordon lowe so i've got a lot of details from there so sunday 15th of july 1951 straffin made his way to the cinema he was a big cinema goer i think cinemas were kind of the thing to do a little bit more back in the 50s as well because obviously you couldn't just go on the internet and stream it illegally and so he made his way there he was age 21 now he had fallen out with his mum that day because she had been nagging him to clean his room which was always a battle in my house standard it's my room don't fucking touch it i mean i lived in squalor for a lot of my childhood because i was adamant this is my mess and if i want to live like this i mean i honestly slept on half that had a double bed and i had piles of crap on the other side <laughs> like that's disgusting there's no way i'd do that now a teenage like, room is like an episode of hoarders you're like it's fine in here it's like a <laughs> pile of paper just topples onto ridiculous. you ridiculous the worst case i mean the worst mess that i ever experienced is we came back from a caravan holiday and we'd brought in a load of stuff from the caravan and i think we'd brought in an unwelcome visitor and i was getting um this is david the hermit we found on the beach <laughs> pulling toys out from under my desk i mean what admin did i need to do at that desk at that time but i pulled out a dead mouse mice are committing suicide to get out of your room <laughs> I think it's time. Well, it's like we're bringing them in alive and they're just going up there to die. I've reached hell. <laughs> he left the flat at 2pm and instead of taking his usual route, he walked a different way. So he went down the road to potentially meet his friends. He came across six-year-old Brenda Goddard. Now, Brenda was the only surviving daughter of a widow and worked to earn her keep with foster parents back in the days when children weren't precious and had to make their way in the world from the age of six. Clean out all the dead mice or you're out. So she left her home after Sunday lunch, which is of course the king of all dinners. Do other countries have Sunday lunch? Is that a British name? Surely every country where they go to church on a Sunday is followed by let's all have dinner together in angry silence. Everyone makes fun of my family's sunday dinner because my dad insists on doing yorkshire puddings as a starter what like you're not allowed to have them with your main dinner you no. get you get a yorkshire pudding on your plate a bit of gravy maybe some homemade like relish and then you have to wait for everyone to eat their pudding and then you can have that, dinner real dinner that's not normal apparently my dad always just tells growing up oh it's a yorkshire tradition no one else has ever told me this is true so now I feel quite ashamed. That's where no bugger in Yorkshire's doing that. They're having it with their meal like everyone else. Someone must be doing it. Otherwise, I'm worried I'm going to have to get him committed. I'll have a normal dinner, thank you. <laughs> he passed Brenda and she was picking flowers, so he stopped to talk to her. And he told her that he could show her where there were better flowers. I've got a rabbit wrapped in a comic if you want it. <laughs> well, he said, I've got some better flowers, you can walk this way. So she walked down the lane and they both headed over a wall and there was a garden with big white flowers. It was an area called... So the... it's truthful? Yeah. Fine. An area called the private where a lot of kids used to go and play. Privately? Playing... <laughs> Are you sure it was called that? Like, oh yeah, we're just playing in the private area that any parent would be freaking the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> they were that is not where you want to send your kids to play that's some weird ass play that's like an Ian McEwan book that is I totally know who he is okay. I think I only got halfway through and was like eh, I don't want 
want this incest in my life. If I'm reading books before bed, I don't want incest in them. I've had some weird dreams. If I'm reading books before bed, one page and I'm done. This is work for my eyeballs. <laughs> she often strangled Brenda in the little wooded area and then banged her head on a wall to make sure she was dead. So just a brutal murder for no reason, no motive. What he said later was that he just wanted to annoy the police. If you so, want to annoy the police, keep showing up and admitting to murders you didn't do that's pretty irritating yeah if you want to annoy the police keep calling them and complain about the fact that I've left my wheelie bin on the street for three days running how is that a problem they didn't want their guests to drive up to their house and have to look at a wheelie bin oh my god and I was like bitch put a bra on and then we'll talk her her foster carers began an immediate search for her and they reported the disappearance about 3.30 so they didn't hang around for long her body was found at 7pm in the wooded area and she'd been strangled and killed. Uh, There was no effort to hide the body. The next day, the police began searching house to house within a street, and then Scotland Yard was called as well because because it was a child I think they were like this needs to be dealt with but there was just no evidence of anyone. Uh, Straffan was seen near but he just said he was walking to the cinema you know there's no evidence that he was anything to do with it that's but, the thing with a random murder yeah. that's why people are able to be serial killers because if you murder someone like as a crime of passion like you're linked to it just by the fact that you knew them but serial killers that just do it randomly like where do you even begin to find a random killer yeah like, how would they even know who it was? We just know it was a person. That's all you know. She had no enemies, I assume. I think a lot of the killers that we've looked at already who have killed more than one person tend to be completely random. So the police put together a list of local criminals and Straffan's name was on that list. Uh, he admitted he'd been in the area, but he didn't. He didn't. He obviously said he was going to the cinema. His employer was interviewed, and he said that Straffan had gone downhill recently, but he'd been planning on firing him. But Straffan didn't know that, so he didn't have a motive of oh, "I'm annoyed." Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know why he did it. I think it was just an act of rebellion, but one that was he just didn't care about because he didn't have the capacity to care about it. So, flash forward to the eighth of August which is not not long, a couple of months afterwards. Um, Straffan spends his first day of unemployment, he's been fired now, by going to the cinema again. Loves the cinema. He went to see Tarzan and the Jungle Queen. I hate Tarzan films. I'm not here for it. No. I mean, it's basically a bloke who's punching above his weight, isn't it? It's just a feral child. Like, (laughs) don't... Like, if the documentaries have told me, you can't tame them. Cicely Batson age nine, had gone to the cinema on her own to see the film. I mean, she is living her life. Yeah, doing it her way. No one wants to go to cinema with me? I'm going to go watch A Topless Man on my own. Yeah, done. So Straffan offered her a suite and then sat beside her. Now, the following day that they spent together would almost be cute if it wasn't for the fact that he was 21 and she was nine years old. (gasps) That is a Nine years old? Nine years old. She she shouldn't be going to the cinema on her own. That's not her best life. She's run away from home. So basically, when the film was finished... They had a date. Yeah, he offered to take her to see another film. They went on the bus together. She got on the bus with him. He paid to the Scala Cinema, which is another part of Bath. They went to see She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, which is... After the film, they went for a walk. They ate fish and chips. 
Cicely said she wanted to go home. It was starting to get dark. They were walking basically through countryside at this point, but I don't think they'd gone off a million miles away. He agreed to take her home, and then a couple walked through the field, and they walked past them. As soon as they were out of sight, Straffan strangled Cicely and left. He'd been seen by loads of people. She was reported missing. Witnesses started coming forward, saying they'd seen the girl with Straffan. A workmate on the bus had seen them together. The couple in the field came forward, and it was really obvious. So they... It can't. It doesn't seem like he can have planned it. Like he obviously spending the whole day with her. I mean, we know he's got, he's got a mental age of nine. Yeah. So she's nine, and he's got a mental age of it. So yes, it's still creepy, but you can sort of get your head around why they would be yeah. getting on with each other. But then for him to kill her at the end of it, yeah. it's almost like because she was leaving. Possibly. But why not? Like if you wanted to kill her, as soon as you got her on her own, yeah. you'd kill her. But it's like he spent the whole day with her and then when she was leaving. He was charged with both murders and basically they assessed him. They said he doesn't know right from wrong and he was sentenced to Broadmoor indefinitely. Now this should be where the end of the story is. But Once you go not. in, you don't come out. Six months later, he'd been in Broadmoor. John Straffen went to clean a rug outside. Something I have never in my life done. And you've got a lot of rugs. I have got maybe a you lot should. Of rugs. Yeah. If Straffan, who doesn't know right from wrong, <laughs> is concerned about rug cleanliness, <laughs> perhaps you need to rethink your priorities. <laughs> Straffan used an oil drum, put it against the wall, climbed on it, climbed over the wall, and then onto a hydrant on the other side. Oh, I thought you were giving instructions for how to clean a rug. <laughs> so he climbed over the wall. I mean, it was that easy. He just saw an opportunity. Someone left an oil drum. Off he goes. Uh, he walked down the road and knocked on the door of Doris Spencer who, of course, it's the UK, offered him a cup of tea. I don't know you, but tea, anyone? Yeah. It is four o'clock. He basically told her he's a stranger in the area. Now, she got suspicious because he started to ask about Broadmoor and how many escapes, and she started thinking this guy's a bit weird. Now, we've been on holiday with Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Luke has a script of awkward questions that whenever he meets a woman over 40, he like launches into the script of questions. So how long have you lived here? How long have you worked in this shop? In all the local chip shops we've been to, I know how long they've worked there. Average is about 20 years. So, I mean, he would derive... I don't know how many people... He'd arouse suspicion. I think if we weren't always loitering in the background, someone would have called the police on him by now. Well, we don't know how many cheeky phone calls have been made after he's left a, a building. Could be a lot. Could be a lot. He's not gone on to murder anyone, anyway, as far as I know. So, she phoned the, the Broadmoor and just said, there's a guy, he was weird. So, they started looking for him. Now, he started walking on... And he met five-year-old Linda Boyer, who was riding her bicycle. He took her to another field, said, oh, well, you know, we can go look at some flowers together. Uh, so like Ted Bundy, he's straight on to any opportunity that he gets to um, carry on what he's been doing before. And then he strangled her. Then he hitched a ride with a Dorothy Miles, just flagged a woman down in a car, who dropped him off at a bus stop. Now, obviously, they knew that he'd gone missing. There were wardens everywhere. Do they not make them... I mean, I suppose this is one good, you know, reason why you should make prisoners wear a uniform. He must have been dressed normally for all of these women to be like, come in, have a ride. Whereas if he was wearing, like, in my head, it's like one floor over the cuckoo's nest where they're wearing, like, hospital scrubs all the time. I mean, he must have been dressed in normal clothes. Maybe because it's not a prison that they didn't wear a prison uniform. 
So he was taken back to Broadmoor and they thought, brilliant, we've got him in a couple of hours, job done, no harm done. They didn't know about Linda's body. Now, Linda's body was found the next morning, obviously, immediately linked to the missing prisoner. Again, just left, not buried or hidden. Straffan had a trial... Uh, the defence argued that Straffan couldn't have committed the murder in the time frame. But I just think it's such a massive coincidence that he's escaped from Broadmoor. He loves strangling girls and a girl is strangled. And the, fa- the chance of someone else strangling a girl in that time frame is, no. is just not happening, is it? The law stated at his trial that previous convictions, like we saw with Graham Young, didn't have to be mentioned at trial. In fact, they, they couldn't be because they might influence the decision. However, as he wasn't tried for the other murders because of the insanity plea, they were brought up at trial. Uh, the first trial was cancelled because a juror basically went down the pub, told everyone he thought Straffan was innocent, so went blabbing about it. So then it was reordered, and by then there'd been a lot of press about the escape and the murder, as there would be. I mean, it's quite a big deal. Yeah. And there had been a photo of the mothers of Brenda, Cecily, and Linda drinking tea together, which almost reinforced the idea that he had he'd killed all the children because they it's were linked. the same person with all yeah. of them. So he was found guilty at the next trial, and he was sentenced to death and transferred to Wandsworth Prison. Now, in 1952, they appealed this because people argued that six months before, they'd said he was insane. Yeah, we'd already said it's not his fault, he can't be held responsible. Yeah. So that should still be the case. It just seemed a bit ludicrous that if you're in Broadmoor because you're not accountable and then you do a murder, that suddenly you're accountable. That's Broadmoor's fault now. A little bit. Leaving oil drums around. I mean, what are they even using the oil for? Maybe they're doing slip and slides on the corridors. <laughs> Grease me up. <laughs> so Straffan spent 55 years behind bars and he died in 2007. He was for a long time the longest serving prisoner, but as he's died, he's been overtaken by Ian Brady, the Moors murderers, who we might do one week, who's now 78 and still going strong. Clinging on. Now, last bit I've got to add is I looked at a book called Killers, Britain's Deadliest Murderers Tell Their Stories by Kate Cray who has been visiting a lot of deadliest murders and God. meeting them in prison. I mean, I don't know why she wants to. No but... regard for her own life. These are some quotes from Straffan from the interview. Although I'm 68 years old, I could still get a job in a factory near the prison. I could tie up bundles of books, maybe, and earn £5 a week. I mean, this is this shows that he's he's not understanding how times have changed. Why do they need to be bundled anyway? Yeah, like indie bookshelves I would hate to be the one to have to break it to him that we've invented boxes the other quote that he's got I don't think I'm a danger to anyone anymore I'm an old man now I'm glad they didn't hang me in 1951 but I do believe in capital punishment some crimes warrant a life for a life there are some bad men around nowadays like paedophiles and sex maniacs hang them that's what I say yeah don't pick on the child killers the one who went on a date with a nine year old and it went so badly he strangled her (laughs) Like, let's go for the sex maniacs instead. Those people who are shagging consensually, but too much. So, that is uh, John Straffin, and I hope you enjoyed it. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like, what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like, what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So my story was inspired by a recent viewing of a documentary on Netflix called Inside Russia's Toughest Prisons. Oh, I love a prison documentary. It was really interesting. Do you watch Women Behind Bars? No. Half the fuckers are men. Show me the women. This whole series is called Women Behind Bars. Why are you focusing on so many men? Bullshit. It's just false advertising. But um, in it, they were a really, really, like their highest security prison called Black Dolphin. And it's really weird. They have like actual, like carbon fiber, big dolphin statues out the front, like some weird amusement park. But it's horrendous in there. And they were interviewing the prisoners and talking about what they were in there for and one guy was in there who was a cannibal and he was telling the story about how oh, he, he killed a guy and then was like oh what should I do with the body um, okay I'll chop it up like what else were you going to do and then, he was, yeah, and then he was like I was cutting it up and I thought why not try a bit the way he did it though was he boiled the meat oh no I think he boils meat no one boils meat freaks I had a housemate who used to boil chicken at uni actually it's not normal. It's not normal. But anyway, he said it tasted horrid, so he had to fry it anyway. Like, it was de- he went into detail, and he was laughing the whole time. He was like, and then, of course, I had to fry it again. Like, he was just lolling away. I thought I'd have a look and see about a British cannibal. Lovely. Um, for you guys. And so I stumbled upon Robert Maudsley. This story, the main source material, was a book that I have used in the past. It's Life Means Life by Nick Appleyard and so Robert Morsley um, obviously did bad shit yeah I mean we know he gets life he's got life at the very least I'm sorry so he's not that well known I mean other people will have heard of him probably but I hadn't known of him despite the fact that he's described as being a real life Hannibal Lecter it's said that his story was one of the things that inspired certain aspects of the way they did the film, like his prison, where he's kept, that we'll talk about later, 
almost is directly identical to the one in the film. So he is currently serving life in one of the most high security prisons in the UK and he's one of the most closely watched prisoners partly because pretty much the majority of his crimes happened while he was in prison already. That's bad. There is no stopping him. So Robert Maudsley was born in June 26, 1953 in Liverpool. Liverpool. And he was, at the time, he was the youngest of four boys and a girl. His father was a lorry driver with a temper. So he would often be away for long periods of time. And when he did come home, he was a bit of a knobhead. So their mum struggled to cope with them. She had that many children and not much help. So when Robert was about two years old, they were all taken to Nazareth House Roman Catholic Orphanage, which I really love the idea of some Scouse nuns. <laughs> like, they're really... I don't know. What would they say? Jesus, I'll forgive ya! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, they were, to be fair, they were probably Irish anyway. They're, like, shipping them over. But they lived there, and years later, his parents had continued to keep having children, and for some reason, they deemed them fit enough to have their other children back home but when they arrived all the children were just subjected to abuse so his brother paul maudsley he spoke of how while they were there the nuns were like family and the parents would come and visit them and they just felt like strangers they didn't know and once they were home he said their parents would have a system where they would dole out beatings to them one by one like you'd get beat sent to your room you get hit sent to your room but they just weren't interested really what, just to keep them quiet and out of the way? I think so. That's horrible. Robert reportedly got the worst of it. One time, according to Robert, he spent six months locked in his room and his father would come in four to six times a day just to beat him up. Oh, God. Like, the worst yeah. kind of neglect that they would have. So, luckily, he was removed by social services and his dad told all of his siblings that he was dead. Oh, God. Which doesn't seem the greatest strategy. Like, you know that I'm beating you all every day. So if I suddenly turn around and say one of your brothers is dead, that's not going to fill you with confidence that you're not living with a murderer. They're the fingers pointing squarely at him, I would think. But he didn't kill him. He was rescued. So Robert then was in and out of foster homes for the rest of his childhood until 1970, when just before he turned 17, he moved down to London... We've heard a few stories by now of 70s, young, vulnerable boys moving to London, to the big city. I'm going to make my way in the world. I'm going to suck cock for money. He did become... He had a day job as a labourer. Don't judge. (laughs) But he was a rent boy too. By six months of living in London, he had a drug addiction. He became a DJ. He didn't, but most people do. (laughs) He had a drug addiction. Stand-up comedian. (laughs) I'm writing a novel, but it's never actually going to get published. I'm just going to talk about it. I'm a photographer. Yeah, I take photos of flowers that aren't growing well. And I feel like it really represents where I am right now. It's deep. Yeah, so he had to work as a rent boy to fund his habit, basically. It seemed to go well for a while. Like, it, was un- it wasn't until 1974 that things came to a head. So that's four good years of hard work. Like, he put the hours in to fund that drug addiction. And so 1974, so he's just like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> I'm just like, is this okay? Is this okay? Uh, 1974, he was picked up by a man who was also a labourer, called John Farrell and once they'd done the act 
Farrell then started whipping out photographs of children that he had abused and molested. Oh, God. Or showing him his trophies, which is horrendous. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's common to a lot of people, but I find that the so in the post-coital times, like, is a time when you do talk about weird shit. Yeah. Like, often it'll be like, oh, have you seen this video of people with a Prada Willy? Have you seen? Yeah, it's like the litmus test is like, if I show you this weird documentary, are you going to judge me for it? Because if you are, this is not a goer. Yeah, I need to know if you're my level of weird. I mean, this weekend I found out about docking during What's this that? time. This is where one man will put pull his foreskin so that the other man can put his penis inside the foreskin and they make one long penis that I guess you can jiggle around once you're in like a snood yes like a sausage roll of sausage (laughs) like the sausage on the inside and the outside is this for sexual pleasure I'm pretty sure it is but it looks painful it sounds awful Uh, can I just stress that I wasn't the one sharing that information (laughs) I was the one receiving it and I thought interesting let's look it up so anyway Robert wasn't on John Farrell's wavelength of weird and it didn't go quite so well so being shown basically not just child porn but children that he'd actually abused himself Robert lost it he flew into a rage and he strangled John Farrell so later that year Uh, Robert was tried for the murder, but he was actually only found guilty of manslaughter. I mean, I think there's some people who would sympathise with him that have really strong views on paedophilia. I think he should have just phoned the police, personally, but... I mean, the judge and jury must have been sympathetic to it because they obviously, they assessed him and decided that he was not really fit to understand what he'd done. And he was sent to Broadmoor for the criminally insane. Right. But up until that point, there'd not been anything. He'd had, obviously, a horrible childhood. He'd been abused himself, but there hadn't been any other sort of indicators. But yet he was said to have had diminished responsibility and sent to Broadmoor. He must have said some weird things during the trial for them to come to that decision. Probably hanging out with Straffin. Well, one of the things that he did do afterwards is that he would tell the doctors that he heard voices that were constantly telling him to kill his parents. So... That's part of it. So this was in 1975. In 1977, Robert Maudsley and a fellow inmate at Broadmoor, David Cheeseman. Cheeseman. They took David Francis, who was another inmate at Broadmoor, forcibly from his room. They caused a massive scene. They were dragging him, kicking and screaming through the corridors. But when staff would come to intervene, they were reportedly met by weapons that they'd fashioned out of radio parts. So they took him hostage in in an office. They bound him up with the cord of a record player, which in my head at this point, I was just thinking, right, they've broken the radio. They've used the record player cable to tie him up. This is why we can't have nice things. Like, you're spoiling it for everyone. Like, no music now. We're done. I love a prison, like, make make stuff work. Have you ever seen stuff about prison makeup? The stuff that they use for makeup in prison is amazing. And hair dye. Honestly, have a look on YouTube. Well, you become really resourceful. Yeah, really resourceful. It's impressive. So, they had him bound. Now, they... Robert Maudsley and David Cheeseman claimed that the reason they were doing this was that Francis was a paedophile and had abused a friend of theirs. I'm not sure if this is substantiated or not. A lot of 
sources have said in this book it names him as David Francis. In other newspaper articles from the time, he was left unnamed. So whether that means he was a paedophile and his family didn't weren't happy with it coming out, or whether it means he's not a paedophile and they don't even label as that is mm. unclear. But that's what they said. So they had him in this hostage situation, and then they subjected him to nine hours of torture. I mean, surely you'd get bored. Well, nine hours. Yeah, hungry, need a wee, little nap. That's a full day's work. That's awful as well. I mean, I understand. uh, Yeah, I understand the staff couldn't immediately jump in, but there must have been some recourse for okay, this is an out of hand situation, but. And I'm not saying they did nothing, but for nine hours they had free reign over this man's body and they... Oh my God. But also, surely you've got people changing shifts in that time. Like, oh, I've watched four hours of torture. I'm clocking off. See you later. It's your turn now. Yeah, can you imagine the people arriving? Like, oh, what's going off here then? You've got to stand here and watch this person. They're just the screams of someone (laughs) being murdered slowly. I mean, it's horrendous. So eventually... Robert Maudsley was the one to put him out of his misery by strangling him. And it's reported that they held the body up to the windows of the office for the staff to see through. I mean, that is the worst nightmare, isn't it, of a way to go being slowly murdered by two strangers. I mean, if anything, it proves that um, Robert was in the right place, that it was calculated, it was cruel, and he had no remorse whatsoever. Now, the guards had reported that when they entered the room, Francis' head had been cracked open like a boiled egg. A spoon was hanging out of it, and a piece of the brain was missing, leading to the assumption that Maudsley had scooped it out and eaten it. And this is where he gets the cannibal name from. This is the only thing that he did that was the cannibal thing, and they've gone on about it. But... An email was sent to the website murderuk.com claiming to be from a former prison officer named Peter Northrop who'd worked with Maudsley for many years when he was at Wakefield Prison. And he basically debunks this, saying it's a myth. He said that the spoon wasn't hanging out, um, he hadn't eaten them. What had happened was they had snapped the spoon down the middle to make a shank, rammed it through his ear and then pulled it back out, bringing some of the brain with it. He also says that the head being cracked open like an egg is a misquote from his third murder that he committed later, which we'll get to. So I mean, when you're doing that many murders, you just lose track, don't you? Yeah, I mean, oh, they all just blur into one. So similar to your case, weirdly similar. Obviously, he was in Broadmoor. It was assumed that he can't accept criminal responsibility. He can't understand. He has no conception of right and wrong. Yet he stood trial for this murder. They were sort of like, you've had your chance at being insane. Like, we're done yeah. with you now. He stood trial for this murder, and he was sent to Wakefield High Security Prison where he got such witty nicknames as Blue, because he strangled his victims and they turned blue. I mean, it sounds like we're just picking people from Broadmoor, but every fucker got sent to Broadmoor, didn't they? Yeah, like, England's not that big. We've got one place for people with, like, mental health issues that have caused their crimes. Yeah, insanity, I guess. So that's why they're all going the same place. (laughs) It's not like we we heart Broadmoor. (laughs) Yeah. Put that on a t-shirt. Bath, where's your tourist shop all about Broadmoor? (laughs) There isn't one. They also called him Spoons because of the way he did it. 
I mean, I imagine it to be like in Chicago when they get out and they have their cabaret act where they, with the machine guns and they're dancing. Like, he could get out, do it, play the spoons. And then snap one off and threaten the audience. Yeah, pay me or you're dead. <laughs> um, so he was sent to Wakefield and only five months after he was there, in July 1978, Morsley walked into the governor's office very calmly, slapped down another homemade knife on his desk and just said there's going to be two men short on roll call oh god so no one had known anything was amiss until that point this was in the evening yeah not even i killed just like someone's going to be missing <laughs> i bet he was rehearsing that line ready or they just made it up afterwards yeah he probably went in and went slapped it down i can't eat with this <laughs> disgraceful so earlier that morning he had waited again it was a canteen spoon that had been snapped to make a knife and he waited for Solney Darwood. Now, reportedly this guy was a 46-year-old sex offender and he was teaching Robert Maudsley French. So he was able to get him into his cell because they were on friendly terms. As soon as he was in there, Maudsley began to stab him in the head and the throat. And once convinced he was dead, he just swept that body under the bed and hid it. I presume that he cleaned it up afterwards but he just stashed it away, just pushed it. I mean, does that suggest that he's not insane if he's trying to hide the body? Possibly, although I think the reason he hid it was because he was trying to go out and kill someone else. Yeah. He stashed the weapon in his waistband, so he obviously was, so he was holding onto it and went out for exercise. Um, it said for the next hour, he prowled around looking, trying to lure someone else into his cell. But, so you're just like, I want to do a murder and I yeah. don't care who it is. No one was having it, though. They weren't coming in. So he walked around and eventually passed a cell of William Roberts, who was lying face down on his bed. So Maudsley got in, stabbed him in the back of his head. He managed to turn over to face him, and then Robert began uh, stabbing him in the face and the chest. Maudsley was... Clearly, he'd just been taken over by a violent rage, and then he lifted up William Roberts and began repeatedly banging his head against the wall. which is where the head being cracked idea apparently actually came from. So Maudsley was sent to trial in 1979 for this double murder, during which he again spoke about the voices in his head that were telling him to kill his parents. He admitted that when he was in this rage, he was imagining the victims to be his mother and father, and that these were brought on by just built-up aggression and such repressed memories from his childhood of abuse. And he genuinely believed that if he had killed his parents back in the day, then none of these other murders was happened. He's constantly trying to act out this event. Mm. I mean, it's hard to know if this is just bullshit to try and get away with it. Well, I mean, I guess there is no getting away with it because he's in, I mean, he doesn't really have a reason to lie or to garner sympathy or he is just messed up. But that childhood can't have done him any favours. Yeah. I don't agree with what he's done. I think he was definitely abused because he's got a lot of brothers and sisters that are telling the same story. And I think... And if, social services. I think if it's not true and you're not just killing people for, like, insane reasons, you do your time in prison and get out. Yeah. You, why, like, he's committed three murders while in prison. Like, he just wants to murder. Like, that's the thing he wants to do. He's trying to kill... I think... This is now my thing. <laughs> so then he was sentenced to life meaning life. But they just returned him, even though he's clearly got these problems, these issues, they returned him back to Wakefield Prison. 
and he clearly can't mix with anyone because no. he's just going to kill people. Like, he's made it pretty clear now, I'll kill anyone. Yeah, and I'll if just he's allowed it. to wander around where there are people, he will try and murder those people. Yeah. So he was placed in permanent solitary confinement, which is a particularly harsh, but I know he's killing people, but solitary confinement is such, is the extreme punishment because even after a few days, weeks in there, it starts to affect your mental state. I mean, I don't know if, is this there's a case where the death penalty would just be better i don't know i mean i don't know where i stand on it but yeah it does seem like at this point they're trying to punish him like obviously yeah. they're trying to punish him in prison but but there's no there's no rehabilitation here like, oh he's no. not getting out so what i mean what is the point it, i mean unless he's happy with this life he's definitely not he's definitely not happy so he's basically in this specially built cage in the basement of wakefield prison oh, it's there's a steel door that leads to a bulletproof perspex unit there's sort of two rooms in it so that he can be watched all the time like in and, Hannibal, but he yeah. yeah it's basically the Hannibal prison that's yeah. what he's in he gets one hour of exercise a day but he says in an interview that he did in the early 2000s I have to ask for it if I like I have to ask for it by 8.30 in the morning if I don't ask then I don't get to go out all day and he has six guards to escort him to a courtyard where he can just walk pace back and forward and the walls are so high that he can't see the sun so he's not really outside anyway he wrote to the so yeah it was 2000 he wrote to the times and like talked about his life there and he basically said it's just like being buried alive that's it and he says all i've got to look forward to is either further mental breakdown or a possible suicide like it's now his brother paul maudsley that i mentioned earlier he believes that solitary confinement is just totally cruel inhuman and it's forcing him to constantly relive this trauma that he had as being locked up as a child and wants him to be treated with some humanity. I mean, obviously, he did a lot of killing and he stole people's rights, so he's not getting any special privileges from me. There may be some sympathy from people, but... I mean, he's kind of forced himself into a corner, though, hasn't he? I mean, you've had the chance and you've murdered people in prison with guards around all the time. What? How many risks do we need to take? It's a contentious issue. You're going to feel... I think some people may sit on the fence, some people will be one side or the other... But I managed to find one man who is so far on the other side that the fence is a dot to him on the horizon. He's gone. He's full on to the extreme. And this guy is Joe One Orbit, who has written a series of blog posts on a Google Groups document about Robert Maudsley. He may or may not be the same person that posted on prisontalk.com, but he definitely goes to the school of capitalizing random words for effect. <laughs> if anything, like the amount of effort that goes into it, it's like capitalize, word, word, capitalize. Like just do the whole thing shouting, do the whole thing normal. So I'm going to try and emphasize the words that he wished to have been emphasized when he wrote this article. Maybe that's giving it too much credence. When he wrote this brain vomit about Robert Maudsley. So he starts off, he's doing a series of talking about criminals and he's particularly looking at some English ones. So he starts off just explaining who Robert Maudsley was, that he had committed four murders and that he feels that he has been unjustly tormented by society for his entire life and be finally treated as a victim and who is worthy of a limitless apology. He feels strongly. So instead of giving him the apology that he deserves, Joel believes that instead, you evil creatures will do nothing. Even if you read the articles, 
I don't know why he's so annoyed. Like, yeah, you're never going to read it. But even if you read the articles, you will simply shrug your shoulders and continue to let your society torture this brilliant philosopher. I mean, I don't know that he was talking much about his philosophies. He's in solitary. Like, My philosophy is I kill people. Yeah. But he believes that Robert Morsley is thousands of times more moral and more Gandhi. worthy of benevolent treatment than the vast majority of you two-faced, law-abiding, societally enslaved, evil hypocrites. Now, I understand that there can be a difference between moral and law-abiding, but I'm not necessarily sure that being a murderer is moral. In most situations, Or a thousand times more moral. I would argue that I was at least five times more moral than him. Like, I'm at least four murders more moral than he is. He then says, despite him having such, you know, strong sympathies, he really feels that Robert is a victim, his views on mental health aren't quite as up to par as I would have expected, as he mentions that only the first of Robert's murders took place outside of the loony bin. So, he's not going to be on everyone's side. (laughs) You think it's safe to say that. Where's his podcast? I'd listen to it. So he then goes on to say that I honour your martyrdom, Robert. If there was... Now he's writing to Robert, is he? Oh, yeah. Now he's direct... Yeah, so there was no indication there was going to be a shift. We spoke about how important it is for children to manage their shift. But now the audience is done. He's at Robert. And he says to Robert, if there was any justice in the world, you would have a thermonuclear bomb capable of destroying all humanity in your hands, along with the launch codes. And you, yourself, would be asked to decide whether the human race deserves to continue to exist. I can't believe that he's doing a series of murderers when clearly this man he feels so strongly about that he should... He's literally the judge of all humanity he's at this point. His favourite. Who are you going to do next? <laughs> Who does he like more than him? Surely no one. I mean, he is willing to do his part. He does say that I could destroy the human race on your behalf, Robert. The temptation to do so would be overwhelming. They always end up weird. They always take it too far. I mean, he started too far a little he bit. He did start too far. But now the overwhelming temptation, if it's overwhelming, I'm not sure you're safe right now. Like, if this temptation is too much for you to destroy the human race... She gets when paedophiles are involved that people just get a little bit too crazy. Like, you're either one way or the other. Yeah. But his temptation to destroy the human race would be overwhelming, so we're not going to do it. He says that instead, to assuage these feelings of destruction... What Joe One Orbit is going to do. All I can do is consider contacting you directly. I mean... I'd love if he got snubbed. That's it. He (laughs) then goes on to recommend that superior humans that read this post should seriously consider finding out Robert's exact mailing address and writing to him. I mean, he's not gone to the effort of doing that himself. Not yet. And writing to express to him the affection, support, love that he has deserved. 
I'll be posting a follow-up which contains more info. Bye. Oh dear. Right, if you enjoyed our podcast today, please do rate, review, subscribe. That is the best way to tell people about us. Yeah, find our email address and send us something that shows us all the affection, support and love that we deserve. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter at SlaughterThePod, on Facebook, S apostrophe laughter the podcast. You can email us at slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com that's better than facebook messaging us that makes me feel more secure yeah i feel like when someone facebook messages me it's like they've reached out and touched me on the knee yeah it's a little bit too close isn't it i'm like oh you arrived your face is in my inbox listening to slaughter doesn't make you a psycho putting a number in the middle of your name does Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.